Chapter 16 of The Recollections of Rifleman Harris. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Volcaran Expedition at Deal, the rifles embarked in the superb, a 74, and a terrible outcry there was amongst the women on the beach on the embarkation, for the ill consequences of having too many women amongst us had been so apparent in the former campaign and retreat, that the allowance of wives was considerably curtailed on this occasion, and the distraction of the poor creatures at parting with their husbands was quite heart-rending some of them clinging to the men so resolutely that the officers were obliged to give orders to have them separated by force in fact even after we were in the boats and fairly pushed off the screaming and howling of their farewells rang in our ears far out at sea the weather being fair and the fleet having a grand and imposing appearance many spectators even from london came to look at us as we lay in the downs and we set sail i think on the third day from our embarkation in three divisions a fair wind soon carried us off flushing where one part of the expedition disembarked the other made for south beverland among which latter i myself was the five companies of rifles immediately occupied a very pretty village with rows of trees on either side its principal streets where we had plenty of leisure to listen to the cannonading going on amongst the companies we had left at flushing the appearance of the country such as it was was extremely pleasant and for a few days the men enjoyed themselves much but at the expiration of i think less time than a week an awful visitation came suddenly upon us the first i observed of it was one day as i sat in my billet when i beheld whole parties of our riflemen in the street shaking with a sort of ague to such a degree that they could hardly walk strong and fine young men who had been but a short time in the service seemed suddenly reduced in strength to infants unable to stand upright so great a shaking had seized upon their whole bodies from head to heel the company i belonged to was quartered in a barn and i quickly perceived that hardly a man there had a stomach for the bread that was served out to him or even to taste his grog although each man had an allowance of half a pint of gin per day in fact i should say that about three weeks from the day we landed i and two others were the only individuals who could stand upon our legs they lay groaning in rows in the barn amongst the heaps of lumpy black bread they were unable to eat this awful spectacle considerably alarmed the officers who were also many of them attacked lord chatham as is well known commanded this expedition and marshal beresford had command of that part of it which occupied the island of south beverland at this time the naval doctors came on shore to assist the regimental surgeons who indeed had more upon their hands than they could manage dr ridgeway of the rifles and his assistant having nearly five hundred patients prostrate at the same moment in short except myself and three or four others the whole concern was completely flawed under these circumstances which considerably confounded the doctors orders were issued since all hopes of getting the men upon their legs seemed gone to embark them as fast as possible which was accordingly done with some little difficulty the poor fellows made every effort to get on board those who were a trifle better than others crawled to the boats many supported each other and many were carried helpless as infants at flushing matters were not much better except that there the soldiers had a smart skirmish with their enemies before the fever and ague hid them 
on shipboard the aspect of affairs did not mend the men beginning to die so fast that they committed ten or twelve to the deep in one day it was rather extraordinary that myself and brooks and a man named bowley who had all three been at corunna were at this moment unattacked by the disease and notwithstanding the awful appearance of the pest ship we were in i myself had little fear of it i thought myself so hardened that it could not touch me it happened however that i stood sentinel men being scarce over the hatchway and brooks who was always a jolly and jeering companion even in the very jaws of death came past me and offered me a lump of pudding it being pudding day on board at that moment i felt struck with a deadly faintness shaking all over like an aspen and my teeth chattering in my head so that i could hardly hold my rifle brooks looked at me for a moment with the pudding in his hand which he saw i could not take hallo he said why harris old boy you're not going to begin are you i felt unable to answer him but only muttered out as i trembled for god's sake get me relieved brooks hello said brooks it's all up with harris you're catched hold of at last old chap in fact i was soon sprawling upon the forecastle amongst many others in a miserable state our knapsacks and our greatcoats over us in this state the doctors during our short voyage were fully employed pails of infusion of bark were carried amongst us and given to the men in horn tumblers and thus we arrived at dover as i lay on the deck i looked up at that splendid castle in the distance it was identified with old england and many a languid eye was cheered by its sight men naturally loved to die upon their native land and i felt i could now do so contentedly nay i have that frowning english fortress in my eye at this moment as i then beheld it the warwickshire militia were at this time quartered at dover they came to assist in disembarking us and were obliged to lift many of us out of the boats like sacks of flour if any of those militiamen remain alive they will not easily forget that piece of duty for i never beheld men more moved than they were at our helpless state many died at dover and numbers in deal whilst those who had somewhat rallied on getting from the land of pestilence were paraded in order to get them on to their old quarters at hythe i remember that the forty-third and fifty-second regiments all that were able marched with us this day to hythe but i am afraid we did not any of us cut much of a figure on the road in fact such was the shaking fever we felt we were left pretty much to our own discretion to get to our journey's end in the best manner we could many indeed would never have got into barracks without assistance in short when i sat down exhausted by the roadside several times during the march and looked at the men i thought it bore in some degree a similitude to the corona retreat so awfully had disease enfeebled them the hospital at hythe being filled with the sick the barracks became a hospital and as deaths ensued and thinned the wards the men were continually removed making a progress from barrack to hospital and from hospital to the grave the ward of the hospital in which i myself was accommodated eleven men and i saw from my bed in the corner where i lay this ward refilled ten times the former patients being all carried out to the grave I had been gradually removed as the men died until I was driven up into a corner of the ward where I lay and had plenty of leisure to observe my comrades in misfortune and witness their end. 
some i beheld die quietly and others were seized in various ways many got out of bed in a shivering delirium and died upon the floor in the night time having been a shoemaker in the rifles i had saved during my service near two hundred pounds which i had in the bank at hythe at this time so that i was enabled to procure extra wine and other nourishing things and often gave my companions in misfortune a treat also and this i think enabled my iron constitution to keep death so long at bay i saw one or two of my old peninsula comrades whom i had often seen fighting bravely in the field die in this hospital in a miserable condition their bodies being swollen up like barrels everything was done for us that skill could devise and nothing could exceed the kindness and attention of dr ridgeway towards us hot baths were brought into the hospital and many a man died whilst in the bath i remember hearing as i lay sick that the firing over the graves of our comrades was dispensed with the men died so fast and when I got out, and went to the churchyard to look upon their graves, I saw them lying in two lines there. As they in life had been enranked, so they lay also in similar order in death. The medical men made every effort to trace the immediate cause of this mortality amongst us, and almost all the men were examined after death. But it was of no avail, as nothing could arrest the progress of the malady after it had reached a certain height. The doctor, I heard, generally attributed the deaths, in most cases, to enlargement of the spleen, as almost all were swollen and diseased in that part. I myself was dreadfully enlarged in the side, and for many years afterwards carried an extra paunch. As soon as the prospect began to brighten, and the men to recover a little, we managed to muster outside the hospital, some three hundred of us parading there morning and evening, for the benefit of fresh air and medicine was served out to us as we stood and ranked, the hospital orderlies passing along the files and giving each man his dose from large jugs which they carried. As we got better, an order arrived to furnish two companies of the 2nd Battalion and two companies of the 3rd Battalion of Rifles for Spain, as they were much wanted there. Accordingly, an inspection took place, and 200 men were picked out, all of whom were most anxious to go. I myself was rejected at that time as unfit, which I much regretted. However, on making application after a few days, I was accepted, principally on the recommendation of Lieutenant Cochrane, who much wished for me, and I, in consequence, once more started for foreign service. From Hythe to Portsmouth, where we were to embark, was eight days' march, but the very first day found out some of the Volcheron lads. I myself was assisted that day to my billet the ague having again seized me, and on the third day wagons were put in requisition to get us along the road. As we proceeded, some of those men who had relapsed died by the way, and were buried in different places we passed through. At Chichester, I recollect, a man was taken out of the wagon in which I myself lay, who had died beside me, and at that place he was buried. At Portsmouth I remained one night, billeted with my fellow travellers at the Dolphin. Here I was visited by an uncle who resided in the town, and who was much shocked at seeing me so much reduced, concluding it was impossible I could survive many days. Such was the sad state we were again reduced to. The next morning spring wagons were procured for us, and we were sent back to Hilsey Barracks for the benefit of medical advice. 
and I took a farewell of my uncle, expecting never to see him again. Such, however, was not to be the case, as, out of the thirty-nine riflemen who went into Hillsea Hospital, I alone survived. It may seem to my readers extraordinary that I should twice be the survivor of so many of my comrades. I can only, therefore, refer them to the medical men who attended us, if they yet live, Dr. Ridgway of the Rifles and Dr. Fraser, who at that time was the surgeon at Hill C. I must not forget to mention an act of great kindness and humanity which was performed toward the soldiery whilst we lay sick at Hilsey Hospital. Lady Grey, who, I believe, was the wife of the Commissioner of Portsmouth Dockyard at this time, was so much struck with the state of the sufferers that she sent, one morning, two carts loaded with warm clothing for them, giving to each man of whatsoever regiment who had been at Volcheron two pairs of flannel drawers and two flannel waistcoats. This circumstance was greatly appreciated by the men, and many, like myself, have never forgotten it. After this, being the only rifleman left at Hilsey, Lieutenant Bardell made application to the General for leave for me to go into Dorsetshire to see my friends, which was granted. But the doctor shook his head, doubting I should ever be able to endure the journey. In about a week, however, I considered myself fit to undertake it, and accordingly a non-commissioned officer of one of the line regiments put me into the Salisbury coach. A lady and gentleman were my fellow passengers inside, and we started about four o'clock. They seemed not much to relish the look of a sick soldier in such close quarters, and, indeed, we had hardly cleared the town of Gosport before I gave them a dreadful fright. In short, I was attacked all at once with one of my periodical ague fits, and shook to so desperate a degree that they were both horror-struck, and almost inclined to keep me company in my trembling. The lady thought that both herself and husband were lost, and would certainly catch the complaint, expressing herself as most unhappy in having begun her journey on that day. These fits generally lasted an hour and a quarter, and then came on a burning fever, during which I called for water at every place where the coach stopped. In fact, coachman, guard, and passengers, outside and in, by no means liked it, and expected every minute that I should die in the coach. Here's a nice go, said the coachman as he stopped at a place called Whitchurch. Catch me ever taking up a sick soldier again if I can help it. This here poor devil's going to make a die of it in my coach. It seemed, indeed, as if I had personally offended the burly coachman, for he made an oration at every place he stopped at, and sent all the helpers and idlers to look at me as I sat in his coach, till at last I was obliged to beg of him not to do so. I had two attacks of this sort during the night, and was so bad that I myself thought with the coachman that I should never get out of the vehicle alive. Never, I should think, had passengers so unpleasant a journey as the lady and gentleman I travelled with. At length, early in the morning, the coach stopped at a village one mile from my father's residence, which was on the estate of the present Marquis of Anglesey. I had left my father's cottage quite a boy and although I knew the landlord of the little inn where the coach stopped, and several other persons I saw there, none recognised me. So I made myself known as well as I could, for I was terribly exhausted, and the landlord immediately got four men to carry me home. My father was much moved at beholding me return in so miserable a plight, as were also my stepmother and my brother. 
I remained with them eight months, six of which I lay in a hopeless state in bed, certificates being sent every month to Hythe, stating my inability to move, and during which time Captain Hart sent four letters to the commanding officer, desiring I might be drafted out, if possible, to Spain, as being a handicraft I was much wanted there. The medical men round the neighbourhood hearing of my state, many of them came to see me in order to observe the nature of a complaint that had proved so fatal to our soldiers. At the end of the eighth month, being once more somewhat recovered and able to crawl about with the aid of a stick a few yards from our cottage door, as my mother-in-law had once or twice expressed herself burdened by this long illness, I resolved to attempt to return to my regiment. I was therefore transported in a cart to the King's Arms Inn at Dorchester, my body being swollen up hard as a barrel, and my limbs covered with ulcers. Here the surgeons of the Ninth and Eleventh Dragoons made an examination of me, and ordered me into Dorchester Hospital, where I remained seven weeks, and here my case completely puzzled the faculty. At length, Dr. Burroughs, on making his rounds, caught sight of me as I sat on my bed, dressed in my green uniform. Hello, rifleman, he said. How came you here? Being told, he looked very sharply at me, and seemed to consider. Valkoran, he inquired, eh? Yes, sir, I said, and it is not done with me yet. Strip, my man, he said, and lie on your back. What have you done for him? he asked sharply of the doctor. The doctor told him. Then try him with mercury, sir, he said, both externally and internally. After saying which, in a rapid manner, he turned as quickly and proceeded in his rounds amongst the rest of the patients. I was now salivated most desperately, after which I got a little better and resolved at all hazards, to try and rejoin my regiment, for I was utterly tired of the hospital life I had altogether so long led. For heaven's sake, I said, let me go and die with my own regiment. With some little difficulty I got leave to go, and once again started, at my own expense, for Hything Kent by the coach. Before doing so, however, to my surprise, the medical man who had attended me under my father's roof brought me in his bill, which was a pretty good one, amounting to sixty pounds. I thought this was pretty well for a poor soldier to be charged. Having still, however, enough left of my savings, I paid it. But I kept the bill, and afterwards showed it to Dr. Scott of the Rifles, who remarked, It could not have been higher, Harris, if you had been a man possessing a thousand a year. When I made my appearance in the barrack square at Hythe, I was like one risen from the dead, for I had been so long missing from amongst the few I knew there, that I was almost forgotten. A hardy Scot, named Macpherson, was one of the first to recognise me. Aim, my certy, he said. Here's Harris come back. Why, I thought, man, ye was gang amongst the laugh for them, but the del winna kill ye, I think. The day after my arrival, I was once more in hospital, and here I remained under Dr. Scott for twenty-eight weeks. Such was the Volcaran fever, and to this day I sometimes feel the remains of it in damp weather. From Hythe I was sent, amongst some other invalids, to Chelsea. Sixty of us marched together on this occasion. Many had lost their limbs, which, from wounds as well as disease, had been amputated. 
and altogether we did not make a very formidable appearance being frequently obliged to be halted in the road to repair our strength when the whole turnout would be seen sitting or sprawling at full length by the wayside this march took us ten days to accomplish and when we halted at pimlico we were pretty well done up we were billeted in the different public houses in chelsea with others i lodged at the three crowns close beside the bun house i remember we paraded in the five fields then an open space but now covered with elegant mansions and become a part of london three thousand invalids mustered here every morning a motley group presenting a true picture of the toils of war there were the lame the halt and the blind the sick and the sorry all in a lump with those who had lost their limbs there was not much trouble as they became pensioners with those who had lost their limbs there was not much trouble as they became pensioners but others were some of them closely examined from day to day as to their eligibility for service amongst others i was examined by dr leffen what age are you rifleman he said thirty-two sir i replied what trade have you been of he inquired a shoemaker i replied where have you been he said in denmark spain portugal and volcaran i said in which latter place i met the worst enemy of all never mind that he said you'll do yet and we will send you to a veteran battalion accordingly i was appointed to the eighth veteran battalion with others and sent to fort cumberland here i joined captain creswell's company an officer who had lost one eye whilst in the thirty-sixth regiment in spain i was again the only green jacket of the lot and the officers assembled round me during the first muster and asked me numerous questions about my service amongst the rifles for we had a great reputation in the army at this time major caldwell commanded the battalion he had been in the fifth and received a grievous wound in the head he was a kind and soldier-like man but if you put him out of temper you would soon find out that he felt his wound captain picard was there too and captain flaherty and lieutenant moorhead all of them were more or less shattered whilst their men although most of them were young were very good specimens of war's stern service one perhaps had a tale to tell of salamanca where he lost an eye another spoke of the breach at badajoe where he got six balls at once in his body many paraded with sticks in their hands and altogether it was something of a different sort of force to the active chaps i had been in the habit of serving amongst in fact i much regretted my green jacket and grieved at being obliged to part with it for the red coat of the veterans i remained in the veterans only four months as at the expiration of that time napoleon was sent to elba we were then marched to chelsea to be disbanded where we met thousands of soldiers lining the streets and lounging about before the different public houses with every description of wound and casualty incident to modern warfare there hobbled the maimed light infantry man the heavy dragoon the hussar the artillery man the fusilier and specimens from every regiment in the service the irishman shouting and brandishing his crutch the english soldier reeling with drink and the scot with grave and melancholy visage sitting on the steps of the public-house amongst the crowd listening to the skirl of his comrades pipes and thinking of the blue hills of his native land 
Such were Chelsea and Pimlico in 1814. In about a week's time I was discharged, and received a pension of sixpence per day, and for the first time since I had been a shepherd lad on Blandford Downs I saw myself in plain clothes, and with liberty to go and come where I liked. Before, however, my pension became due, I was again called upon to attend, together with others, in consequence of the escape of Bonaparte from Elba. But I was then in so miserable a plight with the remains of the fever and ague, which still attacked me every other day, that I did not answer the call, whereby I lost my pension. And here I may perhaps as well mention a slight anecdote of the great Duke. The Duke, I was told, observed in Spain that several men who had come out from England after Volcheron were unable to keep up on the march, and afterwards completely failed. He inquired the reason of this, and was told they were men who had been on the Volcheron expedition. Then never, said the Duke, let another man be sent here who has been at Volcheron. At Fort Cumberland I remember another curious circumstance, which may perhaps, in these time, be thought worthy of narration. Many of the French prisoners had volunteered into the English service, and were formed into four companies, called the Independent Companies. These men were smart-looking fellows, and wore a green uniform, something like the rifles. Whilst I was with the veterans, one of these men deserted and was retaken at Portsmouth, and tried by court-martial at Fort Cumberland. Besides his crime of desertion, he had aggravated it by gross insubordination, and was accordingly sentenced to be flogged. We all, French and English, paraded to see the sentence carried into effect, and, in case of anything happening, and our opposite neighbours, the Green Jackets, showing fight, the veterans were all ordered to load with ball. When the culprit heard the sentence read out to him, he was a good deal annoyed, and begged that he might be shot, as would have happened to him in his own country. Such, however, it was explained to him, could not be allowed, and he was accordingly punished. The Duke of York, who was then Commander-in-Chief, had thought it necessary to make this example, although all of us would have been glad to see him forgiven. Shortly after this, on Napoleon's being sent to Elba, these men were all liberated and sent home to their own country, with four pounds given to each man, and gloriously drunk they all were at Portsmouth the night they embarked. The veterans were very intimate and friendly with these Frenchmen, as they were quartered together, and we were all sorry to hear, whether true or false I cannot say, that on their return, their uniforms betraying their having served us, they were grossly maltreated by their fellow countrymen. End of chapter 16 Recorded by Graham Keeling of Dorsetshire, August 2011 Web address grke.net And end of The Recollections of Rifleman Harris, edited by Henry Curling